Good evening. Well, we're continuing our series called Vision, and it's through the book of Ephesians, and we're in Ephesians chapter 2 right now, so if you want to open up to Ephesians chapter 2. And Paul has been exploding to tell us exactly who we are in Christ. And this idea of in Christ, he's been trying to explain what that means. And, and really the idea that if, you know, if Jesus is true, then we now are true as well because we are in Christ. And if Jesus is glorified, then now we are glorified because we are in Christ. It's as if we're wearing this Jesus suit and what people see is no longer us or what God no longer sees is us but it's actually the suit that we're wearing and and that's the whole idea of what it means to be in Christ and we have now this understanding of who our identity is And now that we've been exposed to this incredible identity, God sees you, he sees me like he sees Jesus. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is able to bring life to our mortal bodies. This is what he has just started off with. This was his starting prayer to open our eyes to see who we are identify with and where our identity belongs. But starting there, we can't take for granted where we've come. We, We have this incredible understanding of now what it means to be in Christ, but we also need to understand how we got there. Because that's going to give us context. It's going to keep us humble. It's going to help us to be grateful. Years ago when I was learning to do the dog training, I was in a city called Roseville. And that's where I would go and I would stay there for the weekend and do training with different trainers. And I had no idea about anything in Roseville because I didn't live in Roseville. I lived in Upland. And so I would take my you know, printed out, this is before I had a GPS, in fact, this is why I soon got a GPS, is because I'd take my printed, I think it was MapQuest back at the time. Do you guys remember MapQuest? Okay, is there still MapQuest? Well, I had my printed paper of MapQuest, and I got to the place where I was staying, and I'd go there, and then I was sent, okay, you need to go to this place. And I went to this place, and then I had to go back to the house where I was staying. But I'm in Roseville. And I didn't know how to get back to the house. And so I was looking for landmarks. And so I got on a street and I saw a Starbucks and I said, okay, I remember the Starbucks. It was on my left. I'm going to go about, you know, four miles this way and then I'll make a left. And I remember the name of the street that I was looking for. And so I saw that, started driving. Well, after more than four miles, There was no street that I was looking for. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's more than one Starbucks out there, okay? And so I had the landmark of a Starbucks, but it was the wrong Starbucks. And so I was driving with this surety 
I knew where I was going because I had this landmark. And even though I was sure where I was going, I was going in the wrong direction. And Paul is going to bring to us this kind of picture of, you know, before you were in Christ, you were driving, and you were driving hard, but you were driving in the wrong direction. And you didn't even know it. In fact, you were so sure you were going the right way. If anyone would ask you, do you know where you're going? Yeah, I know where I'm going. I'm positive. I was sure until about 10 minutes later that I was going in the totally opposite direction. And now I was further from my destination than my intention. And so Paul wants to back up. You're in Christ, but let's go back. And so starting at verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler and the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Before we can fully appreciate what it means to be in Christ, we have to be grateful for what it means to be in Christ. Gratitude makes sense of our past. It it helps us to recognize how we got to this place. We are grateful for what God has done. And now we're able to have peace in the present because of the gratitude for what God has done in our past, which now gives us hope for our future. But without this gratitude, then the place where we're at isn't fully appreciated and and fully isn't expressed because to understand what we have, we can't be anything but grateful. And it's so important that gratitude changes how we see things around us. You know, people who are going through difficult times, if they are grateful for the good things that they have, the blessings that they do have, it changes their perspective of where they're at. It helps them to have a clearer understanding because they're not focused just on the situation 
they are focused on more. And Paul is trying to open our vision to see and to be grateful for what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be now an heir, to be brought into this family, what it means to be identified with Jesus. Oh my gosh, that's an incredible statement, but do you know how you got there? Because this is how we got there. We we live in a world where human beings left to themselves not only choose the wrong direction, but we remain cheerfully confident in that wrong direction. We're blind to those things. And it takes an illumination from God to make us aware that you've been driving in the wrong direction. You need to stop. You need to turn around. And unless we have this illumination, we'll confidently confidently drive to oblivion will confidently live as if this is the only way to live, not even aware. And so Paul wants us to remember what it is we've come from. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Transgressions are those things that you knew were wrong, but you did them anyway. You knew it wasn't good to use that person. You knew it wasn't good to take advantage of this or whatever the situation is, but you did it anyway because that's how it is. You you get what you want. You do what you can to get what you want. It was your mindset, but you knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway. And then sins are these things that you lapse into. Remember, the whole idea of sin is that you are failing to live the life that God has intended you to live. And so Paul wants us to be aware of this. And it's amazing because this really is a long sentence that just kind of goes on and on and on and on. And it almost doesn't have this right grammar to it. A lot of the commentaries are saying Paul just kind of rambles here and it's like almost a poem rather than he's giving some kind of theological discourse. He's trying to to bring an understanding and so it just goes on and on and on and on. And you're saying, what are you saying? What are you saying? And he's trying to get us to that point. And you see, he's, he's telling us we were living this way, careless about what God wanted. And this idea of living a life of sin is the idea of living a life less than what God has intended. And that's kind of a frightening thing. There's a passage in Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus gives a little parable Verse 14. It says again, It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one who, with two bags of gold, gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought 
the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's just a terrifying story. And I always look at that and I think, oh my gosh, who am I? And you see, what... Jesus is saying, as God has entrusted you with something of value, and it is your responsibility to take what God has given to you and to put it to work so that it will grow, so that it will develop. And you see, it's a sin to live a life less than what God has enabled you and I to live. It's failing to live to the potential that God has entrusted to us. And that's where we were. We were living in this place, dead. Dead in this sense, it was unconscious, unresponsive, inactive. We might have known about God, but we weren't linked to Him. We were unconscious of His presence. We were unresponsive to His voice in our lives. It was inactive regarding that interaction. It was as if He wasn't there, a part of our lives. And we were just going on living our lives without the awareness of God and not realizing that God has put something of value in us and that we are now responsible for what he's done, and we were letting it just be squandered. We we were doing nothing with it, not recognizing that one day God is going to ask us to give an account for what he has given to us. And we were oblivious, not only that he'd given us anything, but of how valuable what he's given us is. Thinking, ah, it's just my life. We were totally oblivious to this way of thinking, this thought. 
And what he's done is he's opened us up to understanding that God has given us something of value and now what has to be put into practice. It needs to be made useful. And that was where we were dead in the trespasses and in this sin. But I have to ask myself, have I developed the potential that God has given me as much as possible? I still ask that question. It's not like, oh well, yeah, I'm a Christian now. I've got it together. Anyone anyone there? No, I, I still have an understanding of the potential that is there and I need to ask myself what, where I'm going, what I'm doing with this. Because he says, in which you used to live, and that word some translation says used to walk, and I, I love it, it's a journey. This is how you were living. This is how you were walking. This is how you were carrying on. This is the way that you were moving. It's a metaphor that refers how we move through life and how we move through our days. We were moving through our days unaware of the incredible riches that God had put within us and was going to require of us. And it meant nothing to us. That's where you were, walking, living in this way. And it was according to the ways of this world, according to the course of the world. And when Paul uses the word world, in this context, he spiritualized it. He's not talking about the planet, the people, or human cultures. He's spiritualizing it to help us to understand the darkness that we were living in. Too often, I think Christians lash out at the wrong targets. Later on, Paul's going to say that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, in chapter 6. But we lash out at, at the things that we can see and the cultures and the things, and, and we don't understand that when he's talking about the world, he's not talking about the planet. He's not talking about the people. He's talking about just a, a pervasive influence, a, a deviant mindset, a mindset that is oblivious and, and living without awareness of God. It, it, an invisible yet real force that's hostile towards God, living as if God has no significance. And, and as he's talking to these people, remember a lot of times where Paul will use the word flesh, he's referring to the ethnicity of the Jewish people and here it can be connected to that, but it can also be connected to the idea of just people who are unaware of what their heritage really is, their spiritual heritage. And that's where we were. And that's the mindset that he's trying to get us to understand where things were going and that's how we were living according to the ways of this world, a mind away from God, just caring about ourselves. Basically, it was according to the society that we saw and the things that we felt. The material objects are what moved us. Natural forces, we were given to our appetites. The flesh is that self 
that is addicted to every natural drive without any constraint, without any responsibility, without any acknowledgement of right, wrong, or what God desires. And he's saying this is the conduct of the world. People are doing what they want. Living how they want, not caring about what God wants, that's the ways of the age that we're living in. And, and to walk according in this is to basically live in those desires. And, and when he talks about this appetite or the flesh, he's talking about that, again, appetite that is ruled by lust, that is ruled by desires, it operates in collusion with the world. Now, it's amazing because there is an awareness, I think, in most people, of what is right and what is wrong. And we know that it's wrong to use people and treat people as objects. But then we we start to make categories of how wrong. Well, it's real wrong to do human trafficking. That's real bad. But it's not as bad to use people in the workplace to step on to advance yourself. And so we can justify some abuses and then still acknowledge others. But you see, the whole idea here is the one that is just looking out for self just consuming, wanting and thinking of everything as there for their own consumption. And it's a mindset that we have to be aware of that was our natural mindset at one point. This is the thing that drove us. This is the thing that was ours, he says, by nature. It's not something we learned. It was something we didn't sign up for. It was something that was a part of who we are. It was the brokenness that each human being has. And it was something that whether we understood it or not was driving us in how we lived. And so we had to become aware of these things, but it's hard to become aware of these things when you're in the middle of them. And it's hard to see that if you give in just to your own appetites and you do whatever you want, that it actually destroys you. We see examples of it in our society, those who have wealth and those who have everything and, and what happens to them. You know, There's the Justin Beavers and, and you know all the people. It's like you see a video and you're like, man, what happened to that kid? You know, he was such a nice kid in the movie. Where did he go? You know, what what's going on? It, it just, you give in and you give in and pretty soon you don't realize where you are. And you think, well, I just want to do what I want. I just want to have the freedom. But you see, a dog that is out on the streets and stray and not, you know, confined to a backyard and doesn't have a collar and doesn't have a leash and doesn't have a master over it. Well, do you think that dog is better off than the dog that lives in the house and has to not go to the bathroom in the house and has to eat when they feed them. Which dog is actually better? Which one's better off? The one who does whatever it wants living out on the street 
that gets mange and has to, you know, scavenge for its food, or the one that actually is in a home that has structure and order, and someone that cares for them. And we know that the one is better. But you would look at it and say, oh, that dog's confined. That dog, you know, can't run free. That dog, you know, has all these rules and regulations. That dog has to sit. That dog can't jump. That dog can't do any of these things. But that dog now has a home where the other one's just out on the street. Wild. And you see, that's where we were. No one's over us. Pinocchio, I've got no strings on me. Isn't that a Pinocchio song? Yeah. Living like we have everything together, not realizing that we're actually children of wrath. That is, our destiny was self-destruction. And it's well known, it's the fate of a person with every addiction is destruction. If your Addiction drives you. It'll drive you to destruction. In our lives, we're addicted to self. We're addicted to the transgression and the sin of living less than what God had given for us. If we don't get recovery we will destroy ourselves. And that's where we were. So we know who we are. He's telling us, oh, this is who you are. But do you remember who you were? Because to know who you are, you have to first remember who you were. And it tempers now your condition and how you conduct yourself to other people because I have no place to boast I can't brag I'm no better than anybody well I'm not a a drug addict and I'm not a thief and I'm not whatever fill in the blanks but I know who I was and so when I come to someone else who is in a condition like I was in. I don't come in an attitude of better than. I come in an attitude of humility and actually can look at them and to see the potential in them that they don't yet see in themselves. When you look at someone and they're struggling with alcohol or they're struggling with some, you know, something in their lives and you look at them and you say, I, I can see a person who you're supposed to be. I can see what God can do with you, in you, and through you. And I can see how God wants to use your life to affect the lives of others. You see, it's the people who are the broken ones who end up helping those who are broken. It's those who have been lost that can say, hey, this is the way. That ain't the right Starbucks. You need, you need to follow me. You're, you're going the wrong way. How do you know? Because I went there. I've been there. I know what that's like. You see, now we have a natural voice to those around us and not a voice that's haughty, not a voice that's prideful, a, a voice that identifies but sees the potential 
Because that's what God sees. That's why He sees us in Christ now. And He says we've been predestined from before the world was made. Predestined to what? To be in Christ. That's where our glorification is. It's in Christ. That's where our justification is. It's in Christ. That's where our predestination is. It's in Christ. Once we come to Him, that's how I've planned it. And now you are in Christ. And so the beginning part, He's just going on to tell us where we've come from. Just gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following the desires, the thoughts, like everyone. And yet he goes on and he says, but because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. It's like he's going to, you know, verse 8 is that famous work verse, by grace you are saved by faith or through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. But it's like Paul can't wait to get there. He's got to, let you know where he's going right now. He's just telling you how amazing God is. The main thing that he wants to stress here about all this is the sheer, almost unbelievable, magnificent kindness of God. In just a few verses, he says it in several different ways. He's rich in mercy. He loved us with a great love. His sheer grace has saved us. His grace is rich beyond all telling. He has lavished kindness upon us. So whenever anyone would tell us, or maybe you would even tell yourself, or would imply that God is cruel or unjust, we have to look at these verses and think again. No, you don't understand. I I was the stray on the street, scrounging for food, and God is the one who took me in and bathe me and put the collar that has now his name on it and now I belong to him. I know I'm a dog trainer. I hate to use too many dog analogies, but not to compare you all to dogs, but the understanding is now we have a place and now we have a home and it's all because of what God has done. You see, mercy reveals the nature of God and the nature of his actions. And love reveals the motive. Mercy is showing us what God has done. Love is why he did it. And so to be aware of the magnificent, lavish love of God towards you and towards me when we were oblivious to it, when we could care less about it, he was still seeing within us something of value that we were unresponsive to, we were ignorant of, we were dead to it. And so he comes back to his point where he's been trying to go, where he talks about making us alive even when we are dead. 
It's by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. There it is again, in Christ. We're we're not just cleaned up. We are actually seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Well, Jesus is seated on the right hand of God. He He's seated in a place of, of privilege, in a place of authority, in a place where you would place your son, the one who is going to inherit yours, what belongs to you. And he's saying, that's right. That's where you are now. Remember where you were? Look where you're at. And look where you've come. And it's all because of him. In order that, verse 7, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For a long time, I believe that my Christianity was basically I was saved so that I could go to heaven. And I I felt like Jesus is coming soon and so there's no need to invest anything here on the earth because the Lord's coming soon. And so I didn't see the need to go to seminary because Jesus is coming soon. And that's, you don't need to go to school. And I wish I would have. I really do. I wish I would have taken the time and invested in those things in my life. Because then later on, I had to read, I had to research, and I had to do those studies. Because, you see, God didn't invest in us the riches of who Jesus is so that we could wait to go to heaven. See, I was very much like that servant who just said, okay, thanks for the gift, I'll hold on to that, or I'll just bury it until you come back for me, and then I'll say, see, I, I, I'm good, here's what belongs to you. Not realizing that what God has entrusted to me in the gift of Jesus is meant to produce something in me that could be of value to others so that I would take this incredible position that I have and I would start living now as if it was really true because it is. See, as he is, John tells us, so are we in this world. What Jesus was and what he did is now who we are and what we are supposed to be doing. And look where you were, look where you are, and now do you realize who you are? Because if you realize who you are, what it means to be in Christ, then you will go to all those who were in the same place you were and help them to now get to where you are. You will take the gold that's been given to you and you'll put it to use. And through it, make a difference. You see, you're not in Christ to wait for heaven. You are in Christ to bring the kingdom of heaven here now. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's that saying? May we do what is your will for all eternity, but may we do it now. Not later, Lord, when you come. You remember, heaven isn't out in the sky somewhere. It's going to be, again, back here on earth, a, a new earth. And, and we don't get wings and we don't go out and fly. Yeah, we have glorified bodies. Yeah, there's a lot that's changed. But I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more similar than we realize. And, and I think if we understood what has been entrusted to us and how we are living that we could actually start living today with the reality of what it means to be in Christ, to be blessed with these incredible blessings, the kindness, the love, the grace of God, and it would start impacting our daily lives now. But we care so much more about the end times about the tribulation, about the Antichrist. I remember one time it was Ronald Reagan. Now it's Barack Obama. It's always the president. Give someone an authority and he'll become the Antichrist. And we're so worried about those things that we're failing to live these things and be examples of what God wants to do. It's interesting too, in verse 6, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, and the word is plural. See, the Hebrews believe there were two ages. There was the present, and then there was the one where everything was perfect. But Paul seems to be alluding to more like there is a, a continuing that goes on. There's a continuing growth that takes place. So for Paul, it's possible that he envisions each age bringing new revelation, new awareness of God. Because how big is God? He's beyond our ability to know. So how many ages is it going to take to uncover all of who he is? And the idea is there is a future that is ongoing and hopeful. Isn't it amazing? You would think with the few notes that there are in music that we would have written every song by now. Wouldn't you? I mean, there's only so many notes. But we keep finding ways of doing music. And every generation has its music. And every generation hates the new music, right? You call that music? But there's such variety in just these few notes. Food. They're still coming up with new recipes. Isn't that cool? I love new recipes, especially good ones. And art. And colors. We keep developing things. It's not like it's all known. It kind of, there's this room to grow. And Paul talks about the ages 
to come. And you see, in the coming ages to come, that we would show the uncomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Jesus Christ. It's going to take ages for us to understand the kindness that God has given towards us in Christ. I I have a a sense of the love of God. I, I feel like I know who God is. And then as time goes on, there's more growth. I, I remember when Corrine and I were dating, I was talking to her dad, and he was talking about, you know, counseling, like marriage counseling. And I said, oh yeah, no, I, I, I do counseling. He goes, oh, that's great. And you see, I, I thought he, he meant I do counseling. I counsel other people. And he was meant, do you get counsel? And I thought, well, no, I do. I, I know all about marriage because I do marriage counseling. I know some passages in the Bible. I go through Ephesians. I go through, yeah, I do instruct people in marriage counseling. And it seems so foolish today. I look back and I thought I knew so much about marriage before I was ever married. And then I got married. And then it all changed. And all my counseling, I thought, oh man, I, I instructed people? I didn't even know what I was talking about. And then when I thought I learned my lessons, we had children. You want to know what will test your marriage more than just about anything else is having children. And I learned more. And in almost 31 years of marriage, I realize now I know very little about marriage. That there is a whole lot more to learn. And you see, my relationship with Corrine is constantly changing. She's not the same woman I married 31 years ago. And I'm not the same guy she married 31 years ago. And we've had to grow with each other through the changes, through the hardships, through the children, through the job losses, through the good times, the bad times. We've had to grow through those things. And as we've changed, our relationship has had to change. Is your relationship with God stagnant? Is it just the same? You think you know who God is, you know who Jesus is, and it's there? don't you realize that it's meant to be active, dynamic, living? And that in the ages to come, you will still learn the kindness, the goodness of God that's been revealed through Jesus Christ. And so if we are going to appreciate where we are in Christ, we need to know where we were And we need to know that we still have somewhere to go. So we're grateful for the past and what God has done for us. We have peace in the present, knowing that we're 
in good standing and relationship with God because of Jesus. And we have hope for the future because we know that we are still growing, learning, and getting closer to the God who loves us and has entrusted us with eternal life. And may that be the spark to take what he's given to us, the gold that he gives to every human being who's created in his image, and now allow it to produce more. Because that's why we're here. That's why God created the human race was to give evidence to who their maker was. That's what's supposed the kingdom of heaven is now the revelation of who God is being made known to us. The parables. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. What's he telling us? This is what God wants to do through you so that all creation can see who he is. And it's all because we are now in Jesus Christ. And he's going to develop that further as we go on. But let's close in prayer. Father, I am thankful as I know and remember where I was and how I was living before you revealed yourself to me. And Lord, I'm so thankful for your patience. I'm thankful for your grace, for your kindness, for your mercy. I'm thankful that even when I turned away, you pursued me. And I'm grateful, God, that you are helping me to understand that now that I belong to you and now that I am in you, that I have a life to live in you, that that was the beginning of But there is the continuing that needs to take place in each of us, Lord. That there is the need to invest the treasure that we have in you. And that treasure needs to be invested in in our lives so that it it produces more, so that it gains strength. And Lord, I pray that that would be true for all of us. I pray that we would not neglect the investment that you've put in us through your son, Jesus. And God, that we would not live or continue living a life of of sin, failing to recognize the potential and the life that you have designed us for, that you've created us for. May we not become complacent. May we not become apathetic. May we not become lazy. But might we be in love? And might we pursue you? Might we desire to know you better? And might we give ourselves over to you more fully? And might we be more honest with you and with ourselves? Might we 
call things as they are in us. Might we say, Lord, I, I'm in need and I'm struggling and recognize that we can be in these conditions and still be found in you. Lord, that you don't see us based on how good we're doing. You see us based on who Jesus is because the price has been paid for us. Lord, that's what grace is. And so we can come to you, Lord, with all our trash. Lord, broken, filthy. And we can come with confidence and know that we will find grace at that time that was needed. Every time. Because of Jesus. Lord, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, you made us alive. And now that we are in you, Lord, won't you continue the work you've begun? Of course you will. And we ask that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.